I knew right off the bat that I had absolutely no right to feel sorry for myself. I recognized how fortunate I was to be alive and to only be blind. And so I decided right on that spot, that very second, that I was going to overcome, that I was not going to let this beat me, that I was going to continue to live my life how I want to, and that I was going to you know, reach for my dreams because I've got four guys that aren't coming back at all. Powered by Libsyn, the largest podcast host and distribution network since 2004. Libsyn.com. Recently, I had the opportunity to interview an amazing individual. If you don't know Mike Malarcy, you don't know what you're missing. Hey everyone, Michael Babcock. It is Friday, probably my favorite day of the week. I hope it's your favorite day of the week, especially if you, uh, I don't know, have a 9 to 5 that works Monday through Friday. <laughs> Reason why I like Friday personally is because I'm interviewing passionate professional blind individuals on Fridays and today's interview is going to blow your mind. Mr. Mike Malarcy is taking action today and making things happen and not only is he taking action, you'll hear all about it in today's interview, but Mike lost his vision due to circumstances beyond his control. He's a dad, a veteran, and an amazing adventure taker and you're gonna, well, if you like today's content, definitely share it with your most active social media presence. When you hear Mike's story, I guarantee you're going to be moved. Head on over to yourownpay.com. If you're listening to this on your phone, maybe on your way home, take a look at the show notes. You'll be able to get access to most of the links mentioned in today's interview. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Oh, by the way, if you want to pick up a copy of any of the books mentioned, Head on over to yourownpay.com slash book to get a free Audible book. Definitely check out my guest today's YouTube channel. Over at the Malarcy Project, click the link in the description so you can get subscribed to uh, what he's got going on. Because from what you'll hear today, you'll see that this guy is amazing. Oh, yeah. And there's some awesome videos over there, too. <laughs> hey, Mike, how you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Hey, no problem. I love what you're doing. I'm excited to be part of it. Well, thank you. There are some uh, videos over on your YouTube channel. Before we get into it, I want to ask you uh, a question about those videos. Okay. I'm sure you know which ones I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. um, how, how did it feel driving a car being blind at 100 miles per hour? It It was exciting. So, okay, first of all, it was really awkward getting in that side of a vehicle. I haven't driven a car since 2009 before I lost my vision. And I've always been in the passenger seat. So just first, like walking to that side of the car, opening the door, I'm like, oh, this feels backwards. This is weird. And then sitting down, like, you know, the wheels in front of me. And it was just, everything was awkward, but threw it in the drive. And, you know, we're out in the salt flats west of Salt Lake and just pedaled to the floor and took off. And once, you know, when we got to 50 in like no time. And then it was just kind of like, it was just, it was adrenaline, man. It was exciting. And then he's like, yeah, oh, you're uh, passing a hundred. And it was, oh, dude, it was so much fun. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's a couple of videos there. We were actually broadcasting those live on Facebook when we did it. And then I went and pulled them off Facebook and stuck one on the YouTube channel, which is brand new. There's not a whole lot. There's four videos. Uh, and one of them, yeah. I call it the blindfold challenge. There's a bunch of blindfold challenges on YouTube where people just like hand each other objects and they try to guess what it is. And so I'm trying to change the game. Like, this is the new blindfold challenge. You put a blind person in your car, 
blindfold yourself and then see how long you can last while they drive. Lots <laughs> <laughs> to trust. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Awesome. Yeah, so if you haven't checked those out, I'll link to them in the show notes over at your own pay so that way you can check them out. Like, I do got to ask, did you ever do the whole, I, I, I assume you did before you lost vision. We'll go into your story here in a minute, but did you ever do the 100 miles per hour driving while you were sighted too? Uh, yes. Technically, it was on a freeway in New Mexico. And I just wanted to see how fast my Chevy Cavalier could go. I think I made it to like 106. But now it was so much more exciting. It's so much more exciting when you can't see where you're going. <laughs> that, that was going to be my, my final question for this part was, was it more exciting than oh, seeing yeah. where you were going? <laughs> it, was, it was. And it was kind of rainy that day. So there was puddles. And, and one of those videos, we get just over 100. And I hit one of these puddles and we just spin. And that's the reason we picked a Mini Cooper because we figured it We'd have a really hard time flipping it if something went wrong. It was probably a good choice because there's, I mean, the guy that's recording, you can hear him say it. There's like 500 yards of just tire marks as we're spinning through the salt out there. But uh, <laughs> it was a good time. I recommend it for those of you near the Salt Lake area. But not in your own car. Yeah, borrow, <laughs> borrow somebody else's car for sure. That's, uh, that's good advice. You've only been blind since 2010. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. And could you take uh, the listeners and viewers back to what happened and how you uh, lost your vision? Yeah. So uh, growing up, I always knew I wanted to be in the military. It was uh, just something that I felt that I wanted and needed to do. And so I you know, went to school, graduated high school, went to one semester of college. And uh, that was when it really hit. I'm like, you know what? I got to go. I'm, this isn't where I, I feel like I'm supposed to be right now. So I'm joining the military. And I wanted to do something that I would call exciting. You know, I wanted to be in it. I wanted to be on the ground. My parents, of course, I'm, I've got four sisters. So my whole family was like, no, 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 no. Go be a pilot. Go be an air traffic controller. Go, go into the air force. Cause it's, it's, we know we hear that it's nicer there. And so they're doing everything they can to talk me out of the Rangers and things like that. And so just kind of to make them happy, I went into the air force office and I said, okay, I don't want to be behind a desk. I don't want to be a mechanic. I don't want to be a pilot. What do you have where I'm actually on the ground and can do something? And he told me about a job called Tactical Air Control Party or just TACP. And basically, the whole idea is they take two people, a two-man team, and they embed them with Army ground units. And the whole job is to provide what they call close air support. So we direct airstrikes from the ground in close proximity to friendly forces. So a lot of those videos or news articles you see about airstrikes and things happening you know, in these different war zones, there's probably... A controller on the ground who's talking to the aircraft and putting their eyes on the right spot and so for me that job sounded exciting sounded like a lot of fun so i joined it in uh, may of 2007 went off to basic training lackland air force base texas after that was over i went to what in the air force they call tech school or technical school where you, you basically learn how to do your job so i spent about four or five months down in florida learning how to do everything from small unit tactics to land navigation day and night on foot and in vehicle and then all the, the intricacies of providing close air support, dropping bombs on targets. After that, survival school for a little bit in Washington. And then I got to my first duty station, Fort Riley, Kansas. And so my job, the job that I had, we lived with Army guys. I've never lived on an Air Force base until I got hurt. And so we lived and trained, deployed with the Army. And that was just how life was. Got to go through airborne school, air assault, and all these really exciting things that I'd always wanted to do. And in December, well, October of 2009, I get short orders to deploy to Afghanistan, Kandahar province. So me and my teammate, Brad Smith, we pack our bags basically, out process, and we leave. Uh, December 2nd was when we left. And we get to Kandahar, 
a little uh, forward operating base called Wilson, Fob Wilson, out west of where Kandahar was. And as soon as we got there, kind of the hardest part is just getting the army guys to want us around because they see the Air Force uniform. They're like, oh, great. I don't want to babysit these guys. So we have to convince them to let us go around. So we can, you know, we go and talk to them and let them know what we can do and what we can provide. And usually once they hear it, they're like, okay, sweet. If you want to come out, we'd love that. So we got picked up by a, a certain company, a certain platoon. And they're like, hey, we go out tomorrow if you guys want to come. So really like two days after we got there, we were out on foot uh, walking through little villages and, and just going everywhere. We were doing all kinds of stuff. January 3rd, not even a full month later, we were approaching a small village and it's up against the base of a mountain. There's a little river that runs in front of it, kind of cuts it off. And there's one bridge that crosses it. And we were approaching this thing and we we kind of sensed that there was something going on. Because normally it's like a farming community. There's great fields and orchards and there's people usually tending herds of goats and donkeys. Like there's there's life happening all the time. January 3rd, there was nothing. So we were immediately suspicious. We overwatched for a while. We just were looking at it, trying to figure things out, calling back to the base. Nobody knew anything. And so the platoon leader decided to send one squad, four or five guys across the bridge first. Then they would set up and cover everybody else as they came across. And then the plan was to sweep this town and figure out what was going on. So my teammate and I, Brad and I, we decided I'm going to go with that first group. He's going to go with the main group. So we start across the bridge. I'm the third guy in the formation. And I remember looking over my left shoulder up the river valley there and thinking how much this looks like New Mexico where I grew up thinking how much it looked like home. And as I turned my face back to the front, everything went black. And the next thing that I knew, I'm, I'm in the water. I'm in water. And I realized that. And I remember trying to feel around and trying to, to orient myself to get out. But I was so confused. I don't even know which way it was up, which way it was down. And I don't know how long I was actually there in the water, but I do very clearly remember thinking that I'm, I'm going to drown. So I cannot figure this out. And right about the time that that thought came into my head, I felt somebody grab the back of my body armor, back of my vest, and drag me out. The next thing I know, I'm laying on the bank of this river. Somebody's leaning over me, and they're telling me to hold still and to not move around. They've called a medevac that's coming to get me, and I need to just stay put. And as I was laying there, I, I guess slowly kind of started becoming aware of what was going on around me. I remember hearing a lot of gunfire, people yelling, uh, just chaos. But even at that point, it didn't really sink in. Like I knew that something was going on, but you know the severity of it all didn't didn't really didn't really hit me. I didn't realize that I had been injured. I remember wiping my eyes even at one point trying to figure out why I couldn't see anything, but nothing was clicking. Uh, I remember a second explosion a little bit later. I was in and out of consciousness kind of the whole time. There's just bits and pieces, but I remember a second explosion. I could tell this one was farther away. I felt the debris and the concussion, and then kind of the next thing I know, I'm waking up in Walter Reed, Washington, D.C., like four or five days later. And my first clear memory there was being pushed in a wheelchair up to a doctor. And the doctor knelt down in front of me and said, hey, we originally we thought that we could do something to save the vision in your right eye, but there's nothing that we can do and you're going to be totally blind. And I had this clipboard in my hand and that I apparently had been using, even though I don't remember it. My jaw was wired shut, so I had to write everything down. And so I just wrote a little thank you note and, you know, told him thanks for trying. Um, but I just kind of said, okay. And I'm sure it, the magnitude of that, of what he had just told me really hadn't sunk in either. But right after, next thing I know, I'm back in my room laying in this hospital bed and my dad is sitting next to me. And he says, hey man, I got to tell you 
uh, what happened out there. Basically, what happened, we were crossing that bridge. I was, again, the third guy in the formation, and the soul jet was first in line, stepped on an IED that was buried in the road. And it detonated, instantly killed him, the soldier behind him, hit me in the face and neck. And it threw me off that bridge down into the, the water under it. As soon as that happened, we started taking fire from the village that we were going toward, from some of the orchards to our right, and from the hills uh, to the left. So we basically walked straight into this ambush. So I fall, you know, I'm, I'm in the water, and everything starts to happen at once. The medic sees me go down, and he immediately comes over there. He's the one that pulled me out, laid me on the bank of that river. I have a, about a three-and-a-half-inch long scar on the right side of my neck that was wide open. He patched that up. He put a trach in because the shrapnel hit me square in the face like a shotgun blast. I was, I was pretty messed up and I, I couldn't breathe normally. So he put a trach in right there on the side of that river. Once he got me more or less stabilized, you know, they just, they're still returning fire, trying to just get everybody together, try to figure out what's going on. As this is going on, Brad, my teammate is calling for air support. We're waiting on the, the A-10s to show up. And as we're basically waiting, trying to get out of here, they see the body of the first soldier in this town that we were going that the explosion had thrown his body forward like a hundred meters into this town. And so they tell everybody else, Hey, cover us. We're going to go get him. We're not leaving him here. So that's exactly what they did. They ran through all the fire, got his body, brought him back out. And uh, they have a, a term they use in the military called the casualty collection point. It's basically where you bring all the wounded guys. If there's KIA, you bring them there too. That's basically where you put everybody, you know, to keep a, keep a count. You know, so you know where everybody is. As they were taking, his name was Josh, the first soldier that was killed. As they were taking Josh's body to this casualty collection point, a second ID was remotely detonated, killed Brad, and killed the medic, Brian, who pulled me out of the water. Uh, when it was all said and done, we had a total of four KIA, total of six wounded. I was the most severely injured, the only one that had to come back to the States. But you know, not long after that second blast went off, the A-10 showed up and there was another one of us, uh, TACPs back at the FOB, who basically remotely controlled this aircraft and said, hey, the, our guys are on the north side of this river. If there's people, if you see people on the south side, they're they're bad guys. So you need to do what you need to do. A uh, handful of 500-pound bombs, some strafe runs, uh, was able to get us out. And, you know, talking with the guys after, there's there's guys that were like, I didn't think any of us were going to make it because it was so, so bad. You know, on one hand, I kind of consider myself fortunate that that blast knocked out my eyes right off the bat because... I've never had PTSD. I've never had a nightmare. I don't have, I'm not plagued by a lot of the stuff that so many of the veterans have to deal with because I didn't have to see any of it. I only vaguely remember hearing what was going on. And even then I couldn't really make sense of it anyway. So I've never had that issue. But, you know, hearing this in the hospital, basically the second thing that I hear after waking up, I knew right off the bat that I had absolutely no right to feel sorry for myself. I recognized how fortunate I was to be alive and to only be blind. And so I decided right on that spot, or that very second, that I was going to overcome, that I was not going to let this beat me, that I was going to continue to live my life how I want to, and that I was going to you know, reach for my dreams because I've got four guys that aren't coming back at all. And especially one of them directly responsible for me still being alive. And the last thing I'm going to do is insult them and insult what they gave for me by feeling sorry for myself, by not, you know, by sitting at home all day. I, I refused to accept that. So with that attitude, I kicked it into high gear. I was, by the third week, it was rock climbing at Walter Reed. I had to throw my feeding tube up over my shoulder to get out of the way of the harness, but I was ready for life. And I felt like I had been given a, a brand new opportunity 
to to be a new person and to do all the things that I mean, so many of us are like someday I want to do A or someday I want to do B, but we're all so good at coming up with excuses to not do those things. We never have enough time. Oh, not enough money. Oh, you know, maybe next summer we'll do this or take that trip, whatever it is. I decided to stop doing that. And when I have an opportunity that comes my way, I'm going to take it. If I if there's some goal that I've got, I'm going to go for it. I'm not going to let excuses prevent me from doing what I need to do. And that uh, has really changed my life. And I've had so many opportunities, so many amazing things have happened just because, I guess, just being open to it, just being receptive to having those things happen in my life. And it really has been, it's been phenomenal. For me, these events, obviously, I would, I would do anything to have those guys alive and here. But for me, losing my vision, having this thing happen to me, it has been the best thing that's ever happened in my life. You know, I, I feel like I'm a, I'm a much better person. My perspective on, on the world in general and life is so much broader. And it really has, in a strange sort of way, kind of opened my eyes to, to so many new possibilities and new ways of thinking. And it's just been, you know, I'm so grateful to be where I am now and to have those experiences of what I, I went through because it's helped build who I am today. Wow, I, I wasn't expecting that deep and passion uh, in your story. I like it. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. I realized that sometimes just telling people that can help spark some changes in their lives. And so I've been able to do some public speaking and stuff and travel around and, and share my story. And I, you know, I try to express that. You know, it, it's, I don't recommend that anybody goes and gets blown up. Learn from me. But, you know, like, don't, don't wait. Don't wait for these opportunities. Go and get them. Right. And and I don't know how much you've listened to the podcast at all, but the uh, goal of the podcast is to inspire and motivate people like yourself to get off your ass and do something. Absolutely. And uh, so a primary way of doing that is from stories of passionate, professional, blind individuals. And uh, you are a professional speaker, professional storyteller, especially when it comes to telling your stories. Uh, even if you haven't seen yourself as a storyteller, I'm sure your kids love the fact that you can tell them stories all night long. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I do. So, can you tell us a little bit about some of the projects you're involved in right now? Yeah. So, okay. Let me. I'll start at the beginning. I started a thing called How to Be Blind <laughs> back in 2011. I, I just gotten a Mac, and I didn't know of any resources out there to learn it. So, I was spending hours and hours every day just kind of struggling to, you know, to do basic things. I decided, you know what? I should just record this and put it on the internet because maybe somebody else has these same questions. So, why not? Started off as a YouTube channel way back then, and it has grown to now five years. I can't believe it's been that long. Uh, we've got our, you know, we have our own website, http2.com. There's four different podcasts. There's a kind of a tech roundtable. Then there's a demo show. And then there's two shows that's just us kind of goofing off, talking about whatever we feel like, letting off steam. It's been really good for me. It's been very fulfilling to be able to, to help people. And that was another thing that kind of helped me get through everything I was dealing with kind of step outside of my own my own life and just focus on helping other people. And it's been great. I have been able to do a lot of public speaking. I'm still doing that. And recently, I've been focused, I guess, over in the last six months or so, I've really changed my focus into what can I do to give back more than I am. I've been able to go to a lot of different adaptive sports camps and, and scuba diving trips and skydiving. And I've had a lot of great opportunities, but I'm shifting my focus less on what else can I go and do and more into what can I do to help other people. And so I'm looking into volunteer opportunities with different outdoor organizations here in Salt Lake City. A lot of little projects that are just kind of starting. I've reached out to a lot of organizations and I've gotten some good feedback just to go and volunteer. I'm going to help 
like rock climbing programs for the youth here and just whatever it is. And I love being outside. I love being active and doing things. And I want to, I want to help other people have those same experiences. So that's kind of the focus. And in addition to that, I've got, you know, my personal website, malarcy.com, which is where I have just been blogging, sharing stories and perspectives on life and that kind of stuff. But just two weeks ago, launched a brand new podcast there. It's actually me and my wife. And, and the goal with that is to use it as our platform to continue this sort of theme of, of giving back. The plan eventually is to, and this is loose plans as of right now, but you know, we want to pick a, a charity or an organization and say, hey, month of April, we're going to sell these shirts. Or we're going to do this fundraiser. Or we're going to hold this event. And every, any, every penny that comes in is going to go to this charity. And the plan is to you know, pick ones that we've had experience with that we know are, are valuable because sometimes that's a hard part. You, know, you look up charities in Google and there's, there's thousands of them. It's hard to pick. So our plan is to kind of give some real world perspective. Like, hey, I've been involved with these people. They do these sorts of things. If you want to support them, you know, we're going to do it this way. So that's, that's the plan. And again, we just launched this new podcast and, and we're moving forward with it. But it really is exciting to kind of explore these new opportunities and ways to, to give back. Because I feel like I've been receiving so much over the last few years, especially after being injured, people have been more generous and, and kind to us than I ever would have expected or imagined. And you know, we're so grateful for that. We want to turn around and do the same thing for the people now. So that's that's where we're at with uh, you know, with life. We want to we want to pay it forward. Awesome. I like it. And and it's really about making an impact on more people's life, as many people's lives as you can. And I think when you realize that shift, uh, things will just start falling in place. At least that's what started to happen in, uh, in my personal life. So I'm excited to see what you end up coming up with. Mike, don't you have a book too? Or did that not come out? It's not out yet. It's in progress. If you've ever read my blog, you know that I'm not, uh, I'm not, I don't want to say I'm a bad writer, but just my style, I don't know. I it's been very difficult for me to sit down and try to write a book. What I've been doing is basically I've got a massive document that's just full of stories from I mean, from when I was young, from when I was in the military, things now like I'm just throwing it all in there. And I've been in contact with a couple of of actual authors who have been have expressed interest in doing a you know ghostwriting talking with them like hey just get it all down don't worry about how it's formatted don't worry about how it flows any of that stuff just get the information down and then we'll work from there you know so that's that's the plan right now it is still in progress it's been a work in progress and that's um one of the things that i'm hoping to that i'm going to focus more time on is getting that thing going because i've had a lot of people a lot of people ask about it a lot of people mention it and i've been working on it for so long but i go back i, I had to set a a rule for myself to not go back and read what I already wrote. Because when I do that, I go back and reread things. I'm like, oh, this sounds so stupid. I don't want that. I don't want to put this yep. out there. But that's what an editor is for, to fix the things that sound stupid, make them sound good. So I, I told myself, you know what? No more going back and reading. I'm just going to keep writing. And you know, eventually this thing is going to come together. So it's important. I'm excited to read it. I, I just wanted <laughs> to make sure I didn't miss it. Yeah, no, no, no. It, it's still happening. It's still happening. And I appreciate yeah. you for calling me out on it because it's so, like I said, I, I'm not very confident in my own writing skills. And it has mm -hmm. been the kind of thing like, nah, I'll get back to that soon. But then every once in a while, somebody like you, like, hey, what about that book? I'm like, oh, yeah, the book. Crap. I got to do that. And then you'll think <laughs> about it for the next week. I'll get back to it soon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why don't you just record a story? Record your book. 
You know what? That would probably be way easier. Instead of writing it. Do you use any productivity apps? Because it sounds like you're you're very busy. You've got a lot of things going on. Uh, do you use any apps to keep you productive and keep you on, on task? You know, I'm the kind of person that if, if things get too complicated, I won't use it. So simplicity is a huge thing for me. And I've got iPhones and Mac computers. So I all I use now is the Notes app. With everything being able to sync through iCloud, I'll open whatever, you know, one of these documents. And one of them, I just have a list of like things to do. Another one is just uh, ideas for, you know, for podcasts or content, whatever. And so for me, that's been my go-to thing is notes because it's really simple to use. It's on all my devices and and that works. I used to use, I've tried Evernote and things like that, but, you know, being totally blind, the accessibility was not the greatest and there was so much to it that it got, confusing and it wasn't it was too much for what i needed so i took a step back and and just use notes now and being able to share them you know because i've got other people on teams and stuff that i'm doing podcasts and stuff with so i can write things down and just shoot that off and for me that's been great just because it's really simple to use there's there is formatting options if i want that stuff but i really don't you know i keep it i keep it simple because that's what i need can't you add audio and video attachments to notes now too I want to say yes. I know you can do pictures. I know you can do drawings, which maybe I should explore that. That could be fun. Oh, actually, since you mentioned audio, another one that I, I use quite a bit is Dropvox on my phone. It just, I, I opened this. It's really great. It's really great. Because I open this app and there's just a great big button to start recording. And you hit that thing, say whatever it is that you need to say, you tap it again, and it stops, automatically uploads it to Dropbox. And so that's another one that yeah. I use. If I'm not in a place where I can stop and type something that I just thought of. Do they have an Apple Watch like uh, Just Press Record does? Not yet, but Just Press Record is a really good second choice. I mean, they're very similar things. I should use that more. I forgot that I even had that one. Now, that's the thing. <laughs> I, you, I build these routines, these habits. Sometimes mm-hmm. getting a new one you know, is weird, but I totally should because that syncs through iCloud. Same thing. Get it everywhere. And yeah, Apple Watch app. Would be awesome. I'm kind of like you. For the longest time, I've just used voice memos to record my my voice memos, and I'll yep. share them with Dropbox. That's what I've always done, and so I do that. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I'm really big on do what works for you. You know, if just press record is your favorite and you love it, awesome, do that. If uh, sending yourself emails yeah. works, do that. Like, I I don't really think there's one like t- best answer. I'm more of the like I'm more of the mindset of go and try different things out and just see which one you like, see which one feels natural and easy and stick with it because once you find like i was saying once you get that routine built it's going to it's going to kind of become second nature and it can be, make a huge difference in just being organized Definitely. That, that helps so much and you know as long as you have your routine then you're you're pretty set to go so uh mike technology is is being technology so i've got five real quick questions we're going to try to get through those and then we're going to conclude this because i i really want to keep these uh, about a half hour or so and of course i appreciate your time on this beautiful saturday afternoon i think yeah, for you course. it's still morning here Mike, the, the, the last five questions, number one is, who is someone that you follow and respect and has helped you overcome some of your challenges? So this for me is kind of an interesting thing. I don't have necessarily like a famous person that everybody would know, but being able to go to these different adaptive sports camps and different organizations that I've been involved with, I've met just regular people that have really inspired me. There's somebody here in Salt Lake and I've got a really good friend out in California and, and they're doing the things that I want to be able to do. 
And so for me, finding somebody who is kind of at a similar spot in life, who has similar goals, but who is doing things better than myself, that's something that I can really latch on to. So you know, finding a mentor, that's that's huge. And it's been instrumental in helping me make the changes that I need to make in my personal life to to reach these new goals, to be more independent, to be more confident and just being able to put myself out there. You know, that's something that can be you know, when the first time you decide, hey, I'm gonna start a podcast and I'm gonna go and work with charities. That sounds simple on the surface, but when you actually get into the weeds of how to make that happen, it can be kind of daunting. But just having these people in my yeah. life that inspire me, build me up, and help me, you know, when I talk to them, they're like, hey, just try it. You know, just go and do it. Just talk to this person, see what happens. Just having somebody to talk to has made a huge difference. So people who are where you want to be, and and that's why a lot of mentors that I follow are fond of, of emphasizing, emphasizing is, you know, if you want to be somewhere, find someone who's where you're at or where you or in the direction of where you want to go and do what they're doing and ask questions. So I, I appreciate hearing that. Uh, it was, it's just people. <laughs> Absolutely. What's cool. one book that's changed your life? Ooh, that's a good one. So books that have changed my life. I'll throw, I'll throw two out right off the bat. There's one called the power of the subconscious mind. I uh, cannot remember off the top of my head who wrote that book, but it's on Audible, it's on Bard, you know, Amazon, it's, it's everywhere. It is, it's all about how basically everybody has so much potential, but how much of that potential are you actually using? And it talks about how to you to not let your conscious mind, the thoughts in your head, run your life, and let those, you know, how you know, often we have those worries, those fears, those anxieties. It's how to overcome that. And to just go and to be the person that you want to be, to reach that potential. And it's just full of stories and tools on how to make that reality. Uh, that for me has really been instrumental. I've been all about you know physical fitness, especially being in the military. That's come very natural to me. But the mental aspect has been a new change. And it hasn't been, it's been a very recent thing that I've started reading books on this and really understanding how to make my mind work for me instead of work against me. Along with that, there's one called The Power of Now uh, by Eckhart Tolle. And this one, it's not so much about going out there and reaching your dreams and being, you know, being this amazing person that you want to be. This one talks more about how to just be happy and how to focus on what you're doing at that very moment and to just be and to be totally present. Like I said, I've been into physical fitness, but mental health has been a really new kind of a, a journey for me. But it, this book has really had a big effect on me and how, you know, maybe you're not where you want to be. Maybe you have all these things that you want to do, but at the same time, learn how to just be happy where you are. Don't constantly project your happiness in the future because you have the ability to be that now. You can be happy right now. And that for me has been liberating because there are all these goals, these things that I want to do and I'm going to do it. But my happiness is not dependent on that. And that simple fact has has had a huge impact on me because I don't, you know, I can be happy right now. It's not going to be when I get my next paycheck or my next pay raise or when I get this next thing, I'm happy right now. And so this book has, uh, it's been in instrumental in helping me recognize that and to find ways to to actually implement it, not just talk about it. Awesome. Live in the moment and, and be happy for what you have. I, I appreciate that Absolutely. message. What is one online service? And I think I can answer this question myself, but I'll see if uh, your answer jives with my suspicions. But what is one online service like Skype or 
uh, iCloud is the other example that I have that you use on a regular basis. iCloud's a huge one. Uh, syncing, like I said, syncing notes, syncing ideas, everything. It's it's super nice to be able to do that. Uh, I also use, you know, we're doing Hangouts on Air right now. It's a great tool, especially for people who know how to use it. <laughs> it could be a challenge to get it set up. But once it's going, it's awesome. Skype, Team Talk. I use all these things for different projects, different you know things that I want to get done. And then, you know, the most present probably going to be Malarcy.com. And there's links there to all the social medias. I'm at Mike Malarcy on Twitter. Uh, you could just search for the Malarcy Project. There's a Facebook page for that. I mean, it's all like I said. I built this nice little web. You get to one. There's links to all the other ones. So search for my name really anywhere, or just the Malarcy Project, and you'll find it. Awesome. I, I appreciate that, Mike. And uh, I, thank you for joining me. We'll, we'll have people search for the Malarcy Project and uh, we'll put all the links that we find in the show notes over at yourownpay.com. Thank you so much. I appreciate you for letting me be here. No problem. Mike. Have a good one. You too. To your own pay. Show notes and additional content available at yourownpay.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and most of your other favorite social media sites at Payo. Never stop being amazing. <laughs>